My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head Get it out of my head Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. And joining me as podcast producer is Lawrence Cruz. Hello. Hi, Pilar. Nice to see you again. You too. Round two. Here we go. Oscar day. So since we taped last, even though it's only been a couple couple of uh, minutes Minutes. for us, (laughs) Valentine's Day would have passed. It was a great day. Was it? It was so romantic. Oh, that's good. Did you guys renew your vows since you only did them four months ago? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, that's so sweet. Endless date. That's nice. That's nice. Boy, did I eat a lot of chocolate. Oh, boy. Yeah, flowers everywhere. You look like you've gained a couple. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, how was your Valentine's Day, you guys? We have uh, Mike Musa and we have Brian Pope on the mic. Hello, everybody. Hello. It was great. It didn't cost me nearly as much as I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) That could go in a couple different ways, actually. (laughs) We all pay, my friend. (laughs) So so Mike Musa and Brian Pope are the uh, powers that be behind the yearly Oscar performance art spectacle that is Pope's Pick. Pope's <laughs> picks. Correct. Yes? Yes. Yes. And Brian Pope actually writes up a lot of reviews Correct. for uh, for your uh, movie review site, Pope's Picks. It's but a blog. You, yeah. It's a blog. We call it a movie review site. All right. We'll call it a movie it's review a site for this Okay. Purpose. And then, Mike, do you ever do you ever, uh, do guest reviews on, on Pope's Picks? No, not yet. Not yet. You haven't really been invited, right? Well, I was the one who pushed for the blog. Oh, Okay. All right, but now Brian won't give you the password, and exactly. it's really awkward. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That's that all right. happens. Plus, um, blogging is only graffiti with punctuation. Oh, <laughs> just, just clearly you haven't read any of my stuff. Really? Yeah. His, That's his from Margin are... Call. It's a line from Margin. Oh, oh, oh very well nice. Which will be discussed. Okay. So, so every year, for people who are fans of the podcast, you know that every year I bring Brian on and Mike on to talk about the Adapted Screenplay and Original Screenplay nominees for the Oscars that year. And I really, 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 I made a disclaimer last year. I'm going to make a super disclaimer this year. What we do, right, is we really are talking about the movies. We just happen to be talking about them in the Adapted Screenplay and Original Screenplay categories because this is a writing podcast. We, I never get a chance to really talk movies. It's not a movie review podcast. So this is like our once-a-year chance to do it. And just like you guys out there, we are just talking about the movies, probably all aspects of the movies, but they happen to be in the screenplay and adapted screenplay category, which means that we'll probably focus a lot on story and characters and dialogue as they hit us the way that they hit you from the screen. Does it make sense? It yeah. Makes sense to me. Okay. So I, if, I hope I've made that disclaimer very clear, so that when the letters come in, like, "Have you read these screenplays?" <coughs> I can say, "See disclaimer <coughs> at beginning of podcast." Um, Actually, that joke I made was not from Margin Call. It's Speaking not from Speaking of Margin letters Call. coming, it's from Contagion. Just oh, is so it? Don't send the emails. Now, how did correctly. you know that? How did you just filter that in I your I just, just remembered. Really? Yeah. You're quoting from Contagion? Yeah. 
Lord. I know. I just saw it, so. Were, were you feeling fresh. a little sick after you saw it? I was just avoiding uh, door handles and <laughs> elevator buttons and <laughs> gas gas pump uh, pumps. Yeah. Man, there's such a good trick with that movie as to like how they make it feel real, which I won't go into. Okay. But, but it's, it's not a it's not a contender, so. Yeah, yeah. it's not. So we have no we business discussing it. it. Right, we yeah, can't. it's totally off limits. Allowed. No. <laughs> so you know, I would quarantined. Love, I would love to talk to you. We're gonna we're gonna talk about our favorites, our least favorites, and then some wishful stuff, right? And I'd love to actually start with adapted screenplay okay. because to me this was the stronger category as far as the movies go about you know it's just for me it was it was more of my particular favorite and it's my podcast so I get to do that um, so we're gonna start with adapted <laughs> screenplay and Brian what was your favorite in this category what would you uh, want there to were win? two that were I thought very good I would be Hard-pressed to choose between them, but I'm going to, and I'm going to choose uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, screenplay by Bridget O'Connor and Peter Strong. Strahan? Mm -hmm. I think. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing names. Uh, I thought, if anyone's ever read any books by John Le Carre, again, forgive my pronunciation, they're incredibly dense and they're difficult reads, and they're hard to follow even when you have the luxury of going back in the novel. Mm -hmm. I have not read Tinker Tailor, but I've read a number of his other books. And from what I could see, I... You know, I never really got lost. There were times when I thought that doesn't quite make sense, but then I figured it out. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a sign to me that the adapters did an exceptionally good job of distilling what was important and cinematic in the book and finding the story that they wanted to tell. And so I was particularly pleased with that one. And it didn't hurt that I just enjoy the early 70s period. I just think it's a wonderful time, and it really evoked, for me, filmmaking from that era. Oh, God, it looked so authentic, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Wow. So if I had to choose, that would be it. My second choice would be Moneyball. Uh, oh, we I threw in a second choice. Is he but allowed to do that? Didn't he we did just, it. He, he did, did That it. just happened. God, he just broke the rules right away. Sorry, all right. I'll stop talking. But, <laughs> but Tinker Tailor was wonderful. You know, uh, also, I think, because it was set in the 70s and they chose to you know keep it there and make it look like that, you could have a story as simple as, there's a mole. And it's now if we do it, we go, there's a mole in the company and, right, there's mm -hmm. what's the movie. Right. But the whole movie was, there's a mole, who's the mole? That was it. Right. Um, but in, you know, back then, that would have been like the big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I just, I don't know if I'm making a, a good point here, but the story itself, the goal, not complex. Right. The way to get to the goal, extremely complex. Mm. Exactly. And they, and they pursued a theme that I thought about blind spots. I mean, they, one of the characters mentions that, and throughout the movie, you know, we're focusing on faces with glasses, and, you know, reveals happen in these slow pans. Suddenly, more information is given to us because it was just out of our field of vision a moment ago. And that's mm. both directing and screenwriting, I think, but clearly there was a, a cohesive theme that the screenwriters and the director pursued, which I think to to a wonderful effect, and I was completely absorbed by it. I have a, I have a little excerpt from Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy because we do want to pay honor to the actual screenplay and see what it reads like a little bit. Um, so, are you ready? Absolutely. Actually, do you, do you want to do the cold read on this, Brian? Oh, sure. You're an actor. Go to the second page, okay? Got it. All cool. right, this is Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy. You see it? Got it. Go for it. The waiter starts, turns, sees Prideau leaving. Panic flashes across his face. He draws a gun from the back of his belt, aims after Prideau, and fires, the shot echoing in the cavernous space. 
The shot misses, ricocheting off the tiled wall, and Perdue keeps walking, fighting down the impulse to run, as behind him, out of focus, an image from a surreal nightmare. The other customers stop what they are doing, like actors at the end of a scene, and begin to rise, some drawing guns. Very nice. Very that nice. speaks straight to your theme of uh, being out of uh, the blind spot. It exactly. comes into focus. Exactly. Yeah. And did you notice, too, like the, the mixture of emotion with action, right? Panic flashes across his face. He draws a gun. So it's, it's not just he draws a gun, he does this. It's always there's this emotional intention behind the words, which I think is pretty cool and comes across in the, in the movie. I agree. Nice Very thing. well. What's about you, Mike? What would be your, your vote for adapted screenplay? Well, I mean, Brian and I feel very similar. I like uh, I, I feel like two are very strong contenders, one being Tinker Taylor, soldier, spy, lover, care, admirer, the whole thing. <laughs> and then Moneyball. But I, I actually did like Moneyball slightly better than Tinker Taylor. Tell me why. One of the things I liked about Moneyball the most, A, Aaron Sorkin redeems himself from the social network from the year before. Awesome movie, awesome movie. Don't care what you think. Terrible okay. Boy. <laughs> um, and, and this is Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, just so we yeah. know, with a story by Stan Sherman. I mean, really, you can't really beat this team. Okay. Exactly. And I, I find that when you watch a, a film that's a biography or a biopic, it, they rarely work, or at least they rarely work as well as just a regular, a regular film, at least I feel, as a, as a viewer. It, they're just harder to do because they seem to cover so much backstory. By the time they get to their story, it's, just a, it's like a three-hour film like Ray. That being said, I thought they did an excellent job. They kind of surprised me in how they slipped in Billy Bean's story from his younger years as a player, made it a part of the bigger story that is Moneyball, and I, that was one of the surprising things that I really liked quite a bit about it. It really tied in nicely with the story that they were telling. My only quibble with, with Moneyball was just the end where the daughter is well, basically... No, no spoilers, man. Hey, if you didn't see the movie, oh, no, if you no, didn't no, see it, can't. it's we your can't. job. It's your job. <laughs> <laughs> Be a writer. Be a writer. Go see the movie. Oh, it's been no. out for years. Can you, can you just <laughs> shade the ending? Like, I was disappointed with the ending because of the choice made in the family. I was, yes, way I can thing. do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was disappointed in the choice of the lyrics that the daughter used at the end of the movie. Oh, it, the choice of the lyrics, really? Which is probably pretty real, so ah. to speak, but... Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that because I was just watching the scene as his him listening to the song, not necessarily listening to the song itself, which says, you know, people watch movies in different ways. I don't think this is a spoiler. In general, close your ears. If, you, if you're read, not ready for a spoiler, no, you're fine, you saw <laughs> <Okay>. it. Um, <laughs> she, basically said, she basically is saying, says, you're a loser, Dad. You're a loser, Dad. Uh, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and that was the only thing that I was like, oh, man, like... <laughs> that is true. The that guy pretty... has fought so hard. He's done so well. He did the admirable thing and not going to the Red Sox. Nick, I'm sorry. He's a Red Sox fan right next to yeah, us. Yeah. Um, he didn't go to the Red Sox <laughs> for the big money. He stayed with the Oakland A's, which is the, I mean, it's yeah. it shows loyalty. He's He cares everything about his family. And it just it's that one jab at the end that I'm like, oh, man. Do you, do you think that the filmmakers were, I mean, because honestly, I don't think you're supposed to look at the, that scene that way. You're supposed to look at it as, She's there with him in the car. But you're right. That is what she's saying. So do you think that's all they could get the rights to? Like they weren't paying attention? Or do you think that she is actually calling him that? No, I, I mean, I took it on the other side of like, that's kids. Yeah. Like that is kind of kids. Yeah. So it's all good. Can't win with them. You can't. Little yeah, rascals. Do everything you can. Jeez. They just bring you down. Oh, man. So anyway, that's my choice. My choice is Moneyball. Well, get this. That's my choice, too. Sweet high Moneyball. five. Yeah, baby. Okay. And, and for me, it was... 
was. <laughs> We're on the same page. Whoa. We're on the same page. Oh, yes, we oh. are. Um, I did not want to see this movie uh, because it was about baseball and um, not and it because. it had Brad Pitt in it. Uh, yeah, well, I That's love Brad Pitt. I've watched Brad Pitt, but it was, it, was, <laughs> it was the fact that I thought, not because I don't like baseball, although I know nothing about it, but I, I thought it's going to have those similar beats of every mm. sports movie I've ever seen. That's why I put it off. Right. So I thought it was going to be a big cliche, right? Yeah. And then I loved the fact when I watched it that not only did I become a believer in the sport that they were talking about, but this way in. You know, looking at this from this mathematical formula, I mean, there was something so exciting about this approach to how they told a baseball story. I really, really loved it. Well, and, and the two different characters, the young, what's the young actor's name? The, the John, Hill. John Hill. John Hill, I mean, he's, he's just so, such a fish out of water in that world. So it took me forever to get to the movie. And when I did, I said to my wife, you, you're probably not going to like this. Five minutes in, when their dynamic starts, those two characters, we were totally hooked. She loved it. Yeah, which to me speaks—it's—it's it's a real good movie. I don't know that it's—it probably is top of my list, even though I've only, only seen two of those. But I don't think it's a, an Oscar contending. Movie. Oh, I don't—I do because I, I guess for me it, it, it wrapped. It did such a good job of bringing a character to life and taking him through paces while also doing a compelling story about yeah, something I we've guess. never seen in a really overdone genre, mm. you know? Mm. Is there, I do guess. you have a, you, you said you only saw two in the, that kind of I, I, Yeah, Tinker Tailor I saw just because uh, I needed to see a movie that night and that was playing locally. <laughs> and the others, Hugo I don't want to see and uh, Ides of March, not interested, Descendants I almost saw. Okay. All right. You're, you're kind of getting points. Um, let's 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 read my, uh, Moneyball for a second. I've got an excerpt from that too. Oh, yeah. um, here we go. Where is it? Okay. Now, the page that I pulled it from. I think I pulled it from an old an older draft mm -hmm. because there were actually things in this draft that said things like uh, put in firing scene here. Okay, so it was definitely old. And I think it came in at like 163 pages because wow. it was an Aaron Sorkin movie. But I think it was definitely trimmed down. So I can't say this is the script that became the shooting script, but it's still nice writing. Um, so, do you want to <coughs> read this? It's the bottom of this page, Mike. And, yeah, I go for you. it. Sure. So, Moneyball. Exterior. Oakland Coliseum field level day. Billy emerges from a tunnel to a site Billy's denied himself for 138 games. The lit-up ballpark with a game in play. From the field, we see Billy finding his place in the seats behind home plate. Peter is already there. Billy's POV of the scoreboard, 11-0 at the bottom of the third. Unfortunately, the idyllic moment in short-lived as Die strikes out, swinging, and the team swap places. The A's take the field with Tim Hudson pitching. Billy looks around. He sees the scoreboard, a fan with a big, funky cowboy hat, the charged-up crowd in the, in the stands. It's like the Coliseum at Rome. Nice. Nice. It's like the Coliseum at Rome. You know, if you can do a metaphor at the end, or is that a simile? I always forget. It's all good. It's, matter, it's a simile, right? It's no, like. That's a simile. A okay. Like <laughs> stated comparison. No, no, it's a like similar. is a stated simile. comparison. Right. A metaphor is a simile as well. Ah, right. it you. is the Coliseum. It's like the Coliseum. Exactly. So, so to to have some comparison, let's just say that at the end, you know, to something that sort of gives this sense of tone and space, and you know, that's some good 
right, right there. I agree. And what I like about Moneyball is, you know, from what I understand, I haven't read the book, but it's very numbers heavy. It's very much about that process. And they managed to find a way to make the process interesting and dramatic and, and finding a wonderful way to take that into a, a story with characters that we want to follow and we want to see succeed. So I, I enjoyed that one as well. Least favorite. This is best adapted. Least favorite among I, I, the contenders. Could oh, I yeah. just say, Tinker Taylor really dragged, don't you think? I mean, I appreciated the artistry of it, but it was, I mean, was that a thriller? It was... Well, have you ever read a John le Carre book? It's, no. <laughs> I mean, this, this is from an era where, you know, spying isn't that glamorous. Yeah. And I think what they captured or found a balance to, at least for me, was that slowness. It's really about watching people, right. looking for weaknesses, and, you know, to make that dramatic and interesting. I think they found a, a compromise. Yeah. The, the pace was slow, I will agree, but I was always just captivated right. by it. It never bothered me. Okay. So. Well, I guess out of the two you watched, that would be least favorite. Lawrence, <laughs> <laughs> i got to start giving you more of a heads it. up for this kind of stuff. I did a, yeah, Every I did. year I do this to you. I just set you up. But, you know, it's not fair. Actually, if I, I have a tie into that. Yeah. Because if you want to talk about dragged, Uh-oh. let's yes. talk Hugo. Wait, is this your la- yeah. least favorite? Uh, technically, uh, yeah. Why not? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So least Hugo has a 90-page first act. Wow. Maybe maybe a two-hour first act. My God, I told Brian after we left, I'm like, I liked the last hour of this film. I just hated the first ten. <laughs> so that's my least favorite. I just thought this movie was overindulgent. I, I, I thought it was a master to, to, it wanted to be 3D, it wanted to be a kid's movie, and then it wanted to be Scorsese and George Millet maybe getting a room together later. I don't know. I, I just did not like this film. I don't think I'd want to watch that. But uh, but but the, In the, room, 3D. the room thing. But actually, I I was dragged. Uh, I dragged myself to see Hugo last night with three kids, and uh, because I wanted to be prepped for the podcast, and found out I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was all of these things that I was like, why are they setting that up? Why are they setting that up? Actually, came together. They managed to combine three completely de- different technologies, and for me, made them work. I loved the world. I thought, yes, it was CGI, but it looked very European. And I was really, really caught up. You know, even, you know, I guess when I was a kid, I always read all those orphan stories, you know, paupers sent to orphanage, discovered by rich people. Like, I always loved that. And, I mean, this was one of those kind of movies. And I thought it did a, a great, it was a great nod to that era or that genre of story. You know the the Dickensian kid. You know I I, I liked it a lot. Um, sorry, sorry. But um, which is your least favorite? Brian? Well, just adding to that because I need, do feel I need to come briefly to Michael's defenses. Okay. I I thought the movie was wonderful from a technical standpoint. Yeah. It's glorious, well put together. Problematic script wise, and if I were to say. I, I thought that was its biggest problem, but it wasn't my least favorite. My least favorite was The Ides of March, which I had some huge problems with, not the least of which is that we have you know characters that we don't care about. It felt like everything was a cliche, mm-hmm. like now we're going to have the affair with the intern. When the, there was He's a already line, pregnant. There, there was a line in there where one of the characters says to the other one, you know, you know, you know the rule. Don't do it with an intern, or don't have sex with the intern. And as soon as they said that, I was like, "You have got to be kidding!" When was this written? In the nineties. Right. So, I mean, I just thought there were some. I don't know about the source material, but I just thought there were some very bad choices. And I didn't. I, I didn't care by the end. I really didn't care. You know, uh, I I have to say that was my least favorite as well. And 
for me, the thing that I like wanted to play hooky from school to see. Like, I couldn't mm. wait to see Eyes of March because I love political thrillers more than anything. So, I do. It's my favorite genre. So, like, I, I you know, went all by myself and I'm really got my popcorn out. I can't wait to see this movie. And, yeah, really disappointing that, to me, they didn't go far enough. Uh, there was a lot of uh, hoo-ha over a meeting. Like, this guy was fired because he went and he had lunch with somebody else. And it was, why didn't you tell me? And, you know, there was a lot of that. I actually wanted more drama and more killing and knocked up stuff. And I, I, I wanted it to go even further. And from a character standpoint, the Ryan Gosling character is set up as this incredibly shrewd, sharp, mover, shaker. And yet it seems like he is duped every 15 minutes. From, yeah, from, from the very beginning. He makes, like, one bad choice after another. And it's like, man, you, may, you might not be that good at this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was the point. It's but it's like, well... Don't set him up as this smooth operator that everybody wants if you're going to basically say he's an idiot. Now, I did go into the script to, to try and pull some stuff, and I have to say that there wasn't, as far as the writing goes, too, there's a lot of the stuff that it, it, felt, it felt a little clunky. You know, it was hard to find, like, the excerpt that really served <laughs> it. Um, I think I found one, yeah, but... First page. Yeah, yeah. So, so I did. I did find something that um, you know was a, a well-written, tense moment, and we should, yeah, give these scripts their due, Absolutely. whether we like them or not. Exactly. They are nominated. So, um, uh, let's see. Will you be janitor? Yes, Mike, and I will do scene direction. Okay, this is from the Eyes of March, page eighty-two. Steven steps into the room. He can barely move. He just stands there looking at the situation. The janitor is on the phone. No, ma'am. She's not breathing. No, nothing. Steven is looking at Molly. He looks around the room. He sees her prescription bottle empty on the bed next to her. He sees her clothes all around the room. I, I don't know. Fifteen minutes? How far away are they? The janitor now turns and looks at Steven. Do you know her? Steven nods his head. Yes. She's gone. Okay. So it was... the, the fr You notice how, like... Action, line, action, line. So it really builds the thriller stuff. Could some of those action lines been better? I guess I think so. But, um, but yeah, so you got to give it its due. You know, it, it, it dramatized something that's interesting, but uh, it either didn't go far enough or it, it kind of never showed a skill. Yeah. My big problem with this movie, and I granted, comparing the two, like Hugo and Ides of March, I was I had more hopes for Hugo, whereas Ides of March, I walked in and said, it's Ryan Gosling and, and uh, George Clooney in the same movie. I think that's why it's in here. More please from the Academy's females. Um, <laughs> that being said, I had a problem with, and, and Brian touched on this, Ryan Gosling's character, who's the lead in this, you're not quite sure is he this Machiavellian character who is just bad from the beginning, or is he this optimistic go-getter. That's which he true. Says, he kind of plays a gray area, doesn't he? Well, yeah. I don't think they gave us one or the... I mean, the writers right. didn't help us just determine, Is in the end, is this film a tragedy? Did the bad guy win? Right. Or or was he this innocent guy who's... who? I think that was their hope, is to have this arc of this innocent guy who's very shrewd, and at the end, he's become this very negative character. But he wasn't innocent enough. He wasn't naive or but as much of a daydreamer as he should be. He kept saying, right. I believe in this candidate, but you didn't see him sort of doing it for all the right reasons. And then Brian and I had also talked earlier about the, the female intern 
her character just in general was hugely problematic because the fact that their big scene is the phone call that they get in bed. Yeah. And who's that? Who's that? It's very playful. They're kind of like a couple. And then, like, without kind of acknowledging how bad this is, she's like, oh, hey, I am pregnant by the boss. <laughs> I know we just had sex. That's not uncomfortable, right? I mean, they never touch on that. That just goes right. They just let that fly on by. So, I mean, I just started thinking, well, um, wait a minute. Time out. You're pregnant with that guy's kid, but we're still hooking up. That might have been something to tell me. Now I'm not so worried about the phone call, but that is what they're worried about. Ryan Gosling is, is king of the deadpan response. Like, I don't know if he's really good or he's really bad, but he just looks like blankly at people when they give him bad news, and then you're like, wow, that is deep. <laughs> what is he thinking? He's feeling something big. <laughs> Um, let's let's go to uh, original screenplay. Before we go, yeah, did you have? I, I don't have one, but you guys may have one. You have an adapted screenplay you wish was. Well, actually, I have or three things I really wish, and then I never bothered to find out if they were adapted or original. <laughs> so uh, maybe we should save the wish stuff for the end. We'll, we'll do the wish list. Let's do the wish list. All end. right. Okay. Sorry for for my own ignorance here. Um, so for original screenplay, your favorite Pope. What's your my favorite? Favorite was. Uh, Asghar Farhadi's A Separation, which I thought was just remarkable. Uh, you know, you're watching subtitles, but I was still just completely mesmerized by it. I mean, this story of incredibly flawed people, but none of them, you know, malicious. I mean, it's, it's, about, it's one of the most humane movies I've ever seen. Everyone is making decisions for their own kind of selfish reasons, not necessarily thinking of other people. And it turns into this great big snowball that culminates in a real heartbreaking moment with this with this daughter and her final choice and I mean it's hard for me to just say exactly what is it about this movie in, in, in particular because there was just so much about it I just was completely caught up with the story I would get on one person's side and then they do something like well, that wasn't very nice and then you'd get on someone else's side and the next thing you know they do something kind of questionable and your 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 loyalties keep switching and then at the end you finally realize oh all this time the person i really should have been feeling bad for the person i should have really felt for was the daughter and you know and the filmmaker basically kind of draws us this noose tighter and tighter or the writer director until you realize how completely tragic and heartbreaking this whole scene it it's a great movie. I, I I went to it thinking, you know, oh, it's going to be... If you look at the IMDb description, it basically says, like, you know, uh, parents must choose between staying in uh, politically... Uh, it, it, between staying in Iran and, and keeping their daughter safe or leaving. And that's not what it's about at all. It's a domestic thriller. It mm. is a domestic thriller. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a whodunit. You uh, something happens, and you constantly sort of switch allegiances, like you said, as to who did it and why they did it. Even though the audience sees what happens to right. some extent, really, really well done. Um, and uh, and it's hard because it's in another language. It is mm -hmm. Iranian, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's Farsi. Uh, so it, it's very hard to know if. You know, the dialogue, who knows what happened in the translation, if right. it, that's literal or not. But the storytelling, awesome. Really, it, sh it, it definitely deserved that nomination. Really good. I'm with you as much as I'd like. I, I will probably watch The Bridesmaids again. I will probably watch The Artist again. But hands down, a separation is by far, like of all ten of these films, <clears throat> to me, blows everybody else away. Wow. It's great. It's, it's three courtroom dramas all tied together. 
through this family. And, and like Brian said, I mean, er, you have six characters that are all heavily involved in this story. Even the little girl kind of, she either shades the truth or she doesn't quite answer it. It's great. Every character has their chance and they either, you know, they try, they're trying to figure out who to side with as well. And I, I, I went in thinking, uh, I didn't have high hopes for this film and it blew me away in the end. Now was that your pick for best original screenplay or do you have another one? No, that's definitely it. Really? I mean, both. I, I, I would. I mean, I like Bridesmaids a lot, but it's not in the same. To me, it's not at the same level. It's tough because on a storytelling level, I totally, you know, a separation, right? But, and I have to say, none of the others sort of like really shook my boots. We've got the <laughs> artist written by. Oh God, Michael Hazanavicious. Thank you. Wow, Bridesmaids. I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Bridesmaids yeah. written by Annie. Mernolo and Kristen, Kristen Wiig. Margin Call, written by J.C. Kander. Uh, Midnight in Paris, written by Woody Allen. Um, and, yeah, none of them really, I didn't feel that, uh, like, I, like I love to with, with a movie. I would, ready, I would actually vote for Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. And the reason mm-hmm. is only because of what I've been saying on so many podcasts, it's done something different mm-hmm. with female-driven comedies and really deserves a lot of kudos for that. Also, structurally, it does its job. Mm-hmm. We've got this... This, you know, love story, this unconventional love story that's going through the whole thing mm-hmm. while we have all the fun and games with the bridesmaids. And some of the description of it is really fun. You know, it's mm-hmm. it the the writing is is fine. Kristen Wiig makes a big deal of the fact that she'd never written before and blah blah blah. But actually her writing is pretty good. So, um, I don't know, I, I vote for that I, even though Midnight in Paris is gonna win. So um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I hope so. Yeah. So, so is. I love it. Well, actually, let's read from Bridesmaids yeah. first, and then let's talk about about uh, your pick, Lance, which is probably okay. So, Bridesmaids, ready? Um, I believe this is like page ten or something like that. Exterior upscale modern home driveway morning. Annie does the walk of shame out of the house. She attempts to exit through the driveway gate, but it won't open. Tries to pull it open to fit through the crack, but can't. She sighs, then starts to climb over the gate. As she's straddling the top, it starts to open. The housekeeper in her car with her clicker. Annie Annie waves to her from the top of the opening gate, mortified. Annie jumps down and runs to her car. An old neighbor getting his paper stares at this sad spectacle. His dog stares, too. <laughs> you know, fun set piece. And it's yeah. like a great way to imprint this character, the walk of shame, and then get stuck on a fence. <laughs> and the neighbor and the dog are looking at her. Well, you know? And I knew that was the scene where I knew I'm going to love this movie because it was just a moment that told me they knew exactly what this movie was going to be, just that balance between comedy and and kind of, you know, a certain amount of human <laughs> tragedy, if you will. You know, this yeah. poor woman is in this really awful relationship, but it's, you know, it, it finds a perfect tone. I That would be my second choice. If I, since I'm doing ones and twos, that would be my second choice. I have to say what I really liked about the, the, the character development is that she's a character that just seems to be going through a tough time mm-hmm. instead of being this idiot character, which is often in comedy. You just, you kind of go, oh, this character is just dumb. But she just seemed to be constantly wrong place, right time, mm-hmm. which is what that scene was all about. Yeah, as well. yeah, and they're very clear about it. I mean, I think she actually went a little overboard in the fact that she wanted to be so on structure that she had all these conventional beats of a romance. You know, they meet, they romance, they lose respect for each other. She has to earn it back. You know, there's all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually think next time she should sort of lay off of it a little. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these movies are, are criticized for not having any structure at all. So. 
Yeah, yeah. I kind of secretly hope she wins. Uh, what? What? Uh, what? Well, I've, on, I've only seen two of them, but I did love Mid- <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did love Midnight in Paris. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm a big big Woody Allen fan, but I love the fact that looking at Hugo, where they use so many special effects, so much digital stuff, there's there's just he just doesn't do any of that. So it's so simple. The transitions from modern day Paris to the golden age of <clears throat> whenever it was, 1900s, 1800s, whatever it was. Um, not even a little digital mist. He just gets in a cab and they wander through the streets of Paris and there he is with whoever, um, Hemingway. Hemingway yeah. And yeah. I just it's thought it was Cheryl. delightful. Just, yeah, very, very captivating. I agree. My only quibble with that was I just thought he, he made the modern stuff so unpleasant and unlikable. It was almost like he mm, would, I really want true. you to like the, the past. It's like you didn't need to do that. And that was my one kind of quibble with Midnight in Paris. I felt he was trying too hard to make us dislike the writer's present so that we would fall in love with this idealized past. Mm. Which would be uh, your least favorite for original screenplay? Mike, I'm just going to start with you because you know you want to say this, whatever it is. I I, I always... What is something real about? I got to go right to you. Really? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's margin call. I thought that... As much as I thought they did a... They tried their best to give a human feel to what what happened when the stock market was on its way down and and how it affected everybody and it was an inside look at what happened uh in the end i just i didn't feel its impact i mean i I appreciated the fact that they were as i said trying to give you an inside look but at the end of the day i was like "Eh, all right yeah what about you uh you know i actually in general, liked the original screenplays better, in general. But I would have to agree with Mike on Margin Call. My main problem with that um, was the Kevin Spacey character. I just felt like some of his dialogue was so on the nose, and it kind of became clear by the end that they were trying to make us feel sorry for this master of the universe who brought down you know, the financial world because, you know, he feels bad that his dog died and he actually seems to feel a little bad about what has happened. But it's like, dude, where were you for the last 34 years? I'm not going to feel sorry for you. Get over it. And I just felt like they yeah. stumbled at that moment, moment and it's like, you know, you, you had me fine. You were kind of a nice, sharp critique for the most part. And now you want me to feel bad for them? That was no. that was an odd uh, moment. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I felt about Margin Call the way that I felt about Eyes of March. Really couldn't wait to see it. It was really like, it, the build-up was good. Here's a world. I wanted the inside story. It could be really, really sexy. And then for me, it didn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it culminates in, what, a night night of phone calls? You know? Right. I just felt like there there's more here. And just containing it doesn't mean that it's artistic. You know, and I think there was just this desire, like, we're going to keep it all in this one office and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And there it's, it's going to feel bigger than it is and they should have just gone bigger um i actually have margin call here somewhere they kept their budget remarkably low because of containing they had i think they had two floors of some office building to do the whole thing on oh really so, yeah which i didn't realize till after seeing it but um that was part of that but i agree it felt kind of slight wow did, did all the the actors lower their fees to do this one um i don't remember Okay. Or you can probably get to me. We're kind of cheap these days. Okay, ready? Um, <laughs> Mar- margin call. This is page 64. I'm going to be Sarah Robertson, and you're going to be John Charles Brian Pope. Oh, and okay. then, um, Mike, would you do the C direction? You bet. Okay. This is actually a, you know, it's, it's a tension prop scene, <laughs> which is going to be brutalized by me. Ready? Um, is it me or Cohen? 
It's you. They stare at each other. She does not flinch. Of course, you are well aware I filtered several warnings for you and Cohen over a year ago on this. I'm not sure that's the best path for you to be taking at this point. You're going to be taken care of here. nods. Obviously, it's quite complicated. John, I was told that in no uncertain terms... It was all a very gray area. It was actually made very clear at the time by you and I and Cohen. I'd really prefer that you didn't fight me on this. Okay, thank you. Is that the Jeremy Irons character, John Toll? I believe so, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly. And to Demi Moore. Yeah, and she's basically, you know, she knows somebody's going to be sacrificed. <coughs> that's right, that's and right. And it's her, <coughs> and it's her. Um, if I could say something for a moment, because yeah. we just didn't touch on it. I was uh, As I was doing my notes, I because we didn't talk about the artist, really, but the fact that it was written yeah. and made, yeah. when I walked out of it, I just appreciated the, those two facts. That somebody actually wrote what is 98% silent film mm-hmm. in this day and age, and that someone said, yeah, let's make that. Absolutely. Bravo. Well, yeah, it's... it's uh, Doesn't uh, mean it's the best, but still. It's, uh, yes, it... it, it, it it's a wonderful homage, and it looks gorgeous, and it, they really, really captured all the style of that time. I would say the reason I'm a little PO'd that it's up for best screenplay is if you look at the story, right? Mm-hmm. The story. They're p- having a story about when silence became talkies. Why do you steal Singing in the Rain almost in its entirety, which is a great story about mm-hmm. when silence become talkies. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing an homage to Singing in the Rain. They're doing it to silent movies. So find another freaking story. Yeah. They did Singing in the Rain, and then it turned into Star is Born. And if you rent the first half hour of Singing in the Rain and watch the artist, you're going to be astounded at how similar it is. And if you watch Vertigo, you're going to be astounded at how much music came from Bernard Herrmann's score. <laughs> but uh, it's, another, it's a story for another podcast. Well, I guess, I guess the deal is, is that movie paying homage to every single movie that ever happened, and in yeah. that case it's forgivable, you know? Or is it just focusing on this one thing and stole a story? Well, if you're taken out of a story yeah. to be reminded of some other story or some other movie, I, I think you have failed mm-hmm. as a storyteller. And I'm not saying, I enjoyed The Artist, Quite a bit. I mean, it's it's delightful, but I'm with you. I, I don't think that uh, as a screenplay, it's necessarily quite up there yet. Now, I have the screenplay. A lot of people have asked, uh, you know, <laughs> how did this work, right? It's it's all silent. Um, but if you think about a good movie, good movies are always between the lines, right? It's the silent moments that really get us. Um, I looked at the screenplay, at least that was online. It was 44 pages, but actually it was so compressed in terms of the scene direction that it actually could have easily been 110 pages Mm -hmm. if they'd actually paragraphed out these huge blocks of of story that they did. But uh, here's what it sounds like. Um, Actually, Brian, would you you read it? It's uh, second page. Absolutely. Okay. He catches the kiss with a smile pretends to make it disappear in his other hand like a magician, then shows her the inside breast pocket of his jacket as proof that he's keeping it safe and warm. She laughs loudly and goes on her way. He watches her walk away with admiration in his eyes. She vanishes, and George's smile takes on a note of melancholy, and then he leaves too. Which is nice. You can, that's so visual and emotional, and what that, that movie did well was always conveying emotionally what was going on in that silent world, you know? And it's right there on the page. It's not just the actors being said, okay, be sad here. It's very, very specific. The kiss, the smile, the breast pocket, um, her her loud laugh, her the admiration in her eyes, taking note of the melancholy he leaves. I mean, woof. 
That's yeah. that's a lot of layers there. Yeah. So that is what that movie did very, very well. I agree. You know? um, but it uh, wasn't my least favorite. You want to know what my least favorite was? You ready for, right. for best screenplay? Midnight in Paris, written Ooh. by Woody <laughs> Allen. And the reason is, I, I just... I bet I know what you're going to say. I just, I just think this emperor hasn't had many clothes on for uh, many years. And I, and, I, and I understand, you know, I, I understand um, why people love him and why people like this movie. I mean, finally, there's a, there's a premise there and there's an interesting structure. Great. But in that, how about also challenging yourself with characters that you haven't done a million times? The mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar writer, the intellectual with the beard, the, the, the attractive girlfriend who doesn't understand you, the enigmatic girlfriend that does understand you, and then you could go off and, and have romance with a 12-year-old. I mean, it's just <laughs> always the same characters and the same lines. Christ. So I'm just, I, for, for best screenplay, I don't know. I, I think it will totally win, but I, I have to say, I, I, mm. if, I was, if it was me, I, I wouldn't vote on it. I don't know. Was that your least? Uh, you had a least My favorite. My least favorite somewhere was Margin Call, that but I'm kind of with you. Okay. It's sort of like you know, hot tub time machine, but I've got a sexy <laughs> wife, so right. I'm out of here in Paris. Yeah. And I, I read a lot, and I and I write a lot, and it's anyway, and so that makes it not hot tub time machine. But come on, you know. So I mean, I Owen know. Wilson does a pretty good uh, Woody Woody Allen. He though. does. <laughs> he's he's kind of tailored for it, but. Yeah. Oh, well. But, but again, should these guys be doing Woody Allen? Should John Cusack be doing Woody Allen? Shouldn't there be another character besides either Woody Allen or guys playing Woody Allen in these movies, you know? And I know it's going to, there's so many people out there that just turned off the podcast because they are Woody <laughs> Allen fans and I know nothing. But I got to say it. It yeah. was a pretty thankless role for the for the wife, wasn't it? Oh my yeah. god! Well, I've never seen um, that actress so unappealing. Rachel, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rachel McAdams, who I am completely smitten with. I couldn't stand her. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, there's one that we oh oh I tried to find the 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 screenplay for Midnight in Paris, and I have to say I could not find that one anywhere. Yeah. He's very good at keeping his stuff to himself. Also, Hugo, I couldn't find. But my daughter had pulled for me, and I left it at home. Uh, the very last page of the book that it was dis- adapted from, mm-hmm. Hugo, Hugo Chabray? Chabray? Yeah, Chabray? so the invention of Huber, Hugo That Yeah, so she's read it because she's, she's the well-read read one in the family. Anyway, <laughs> so she, at least one. she showed me that there is the screenplay adaptation. There's a... There's a uh, uh, page from it at the right. very end of the book, oh. and uh, and actually it's John Logan who's a great writer and really beautiful description. So if anybody is looking for the script or just wants to know how it was described, go to the last page of the actual book, and they can see oh, or at nice. least this version of the book. Um, there's another movie that we totally didn't mention, and it's an adapted screenplay, and it was The Descendants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neither best nor worst for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Did you did you did you like it? Did you see it? I almost saw it. See it, see it. <laughs> I did, will. Did you like it? I liked it. I mean, I like Alexander Payne. My my main problem with that movie is I just feel it's a little too easy on the main character. I mean, you establish that he has a marriage that's on the rocks. His wife betrayed him, and yet she's in a coma, so she can't defend himself. So basically, automatically, the audience is well. Then you're 
clearly in the right, and she must be in the wrong because she hasn't said anything. She's just lying there in a coma. And I felt like that was a weakness in the arc of the story for me. Yeah. And I just, I felt, you know, I, want, I like Alexander Payne when he's a little harder on his characters. I felt he cut them a little too much slack for my taste, but I still liked the movie. I mean, it's, it's a good adaptation aside from that minor quibble. I've, I've heard that before from people saying I, I couldn't, I, she couldn't speak for herself, yeah. which actually I think is one of the conceits of the movie, no, but, I, I but a lot of people feel, felt that frustration watching it too. Well, what about you? How did you feel about, uh, about The Descendants, Mike? I, I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying. It, it felt especially compared to again a separation it felt very sanitized very tidy mm-hmm. and i it and the funny thing is to me is it starts off by saying basically the first a few minutes is you know life in hawaii isn't what it's all cracked up to be <laughs> it, we have hard times in hawaii and as Pilar, well Pilar, was did you have any problem with the 10 minutes of voiceover that the movie opened with it it, it definitely didn't need it although George Crooney, Crooney. Ah, oh, how about that? We're not drinking. Wow. That's what we say. But that's kind of how I felt about it. Like, George Clooney can croon to me almost any time and just get away with it. But, yeah, it was pretty heavy on it up front. I was very worried initially. I was like, it can't go on much longer. I'm gonna, It's going to lose me. But so you, know, it, you know why, probably? Because we do think of Hawaii in a certain way. It's really hard to understand all the complexities of, like, that land deal that was going on and all this stuff. But then again, if it can't be dramatized, should it have been, you know? No. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, so let me get this straight. Yeah. You get to wear the Hawaiian shirt anywhere you want to go. Because <laughs> you even come out like, hey, these guys make money too, but they're just dressed this way. So, okay. I've got this, I'm related to Hawaiian royalty. Uh, okay. I've got this huge amount of land that I could sell for a ton of cash. Okay. And my cheating wife is about to die. Yeah. I'm not feeling bad. Where am I supposed to feel bad for you? I mean, I feel bad for the kids, but things are kind of going your way. Oh, and you look like George Clooney. So, okay, well, you got it. You got a I point. Mean, the man. I mean, he he only adapted what he was given. That has yeah. nothing to do with his writing of the adaptation. But no, no, the story is what the story again, is. Should it have been adapted? Maybe not. But one thing I think uh, there's a trick that Alexander Payne does, and he did this in Sideways too, is he tells the truth. And it's weird because a lot of times when we're teaching screenwriting, we're talking about how characters tend to lie and mm-hmm. how that's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking for the subtext under the lie. Right. But he does the opposite. So it's uh, your wife is having an affair. We don't sit there and go like, is she? Yeah, she's having an affair. Uh, well, who did it? Nobody goes, oh, I can't tell you. They're like, oh, it's the guy down the street. Okay. You know, where does he live? Oh, gosh, I guess we'll really have to search for it. Nope, it's this address. <laughs> like, like his, his trick of just telling the, the blunt truth is always so surprising. Mm-hmm. And he did that in Sideways, too, that it feels fresh. Yep. You know? And it's just directness, actually. Uh, no, I, so, just, yeah. I, I like Alexander Payne. I just, you know. I felt the movie had its its moments. Though. Yeah. I mean, when the the other spouse walks in with the flowers, that's very tense. And then when George Clooney has his moment with his wife by himself, I thought that was. Well yeah, we should mention though that Alexander Payne wasn't the only one who wrote that yes. script. It was Nat Faxon and Jim Rash as well, and they, they deserve the credit. I've got well. I've got a, a tiny tiny excerpt from The Descendants. This is page eighty seven. Matt looks around the room, alienated from everything, from the fried food and the tourists, from the umbrella and the drinks, from his daughters enjoying the music, and this cretin called Sid. So I liked, again, it's like action plus emotion. And also, it guides the 
the camera, right? Yeah. He looks around, alienated from everything. Then we see the things he's alienated from, and then the point is, and this Cretan calls it. So it tells this little story yeah. too. Yeah. So some some really nice writing there. Um, yeah, I I think we I think we we hit them all, didn't we? We did. We so did. so what were what was on your wish list? What you, what was left off that you wish could have been there? Well, the biggest omission for me was an original screenplay called Beginners by oh, Mike yeah. Mills, which it I was thought really was good. terrific. You know, it, it tells what I think is a very difficult story about a person basically mourning, grieving, and kind of coming to terms with his inability to connect with, you know, the women he's dating, with, you know, other people in his life. And he made it cinematic and interesting and emotionally involving without feeling like I was being dragged through this morass. Mm -hmm. You know, it had an incredibly light touch and uh, I just, I loved that movie from beginning to end. It completely captivated me and I would have loved, that would have been a nomination that I would have been like, yes! I'm surprised that that kind of missed the, the Academy, you know? Because it's it's got lots of great acting. It, what, was Christopher Plummer up for? He's yeah. up well, for Well, yeah. okay. And he won for Golden Globe, right? Yeah. Didn't he? Okay, yeah. yeah. You didn't think there was a little overly cute in there, the sort of meeting between the couple and some it was, so it was, Silver Lake hipster on steroids? It was so, <laughs> it was so cute. It got past, it like went beyond it. It was like so, like, it was like mega cute. And I was like, oh, Oh. He's, it stopped he's, it nauseating he's a, for he's me. A, he's a, he's a, was a, she was the mute, and he was Sigmund Freud. It's like, right. okay, that is just so ridiculous. I love it. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it is probably the world's most charming relationship of all time. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree with you. Like, there's not – they kind of create some bumps in that relationship that they just had to do because otherwise she was just so – Delightful. <laughs> Hell yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I, you know, the thing I, uh, one of the things I like most about the beginners, or be, no, is it beginners? No. Beginners. Yeah, beginners, beginners, okay. Is uh, the dog, which, by the way, this year was great for dogs. Like, Hugo <laughs> was the, he's the only good actor in that movie. Uh, the dog and Hugo. And then uh, the artist also has a dog as an important character. But the dog in this movie. The, the lead character, Ewan McGregor's character, his, his flaw or his problem is that he has a tendency to leave behind what he loves or separate from the thing he loves, and this dog won't let him do it. Mm. Like, it's constantly crying. And, and the dog also is great in that it serves as sort of the inner monologue. Right. Like, can we marry her now? And he's like, yeah. it doesn't work that way. And it's just great because you kind of, you know what he's thinking, but it's supposed to be the dog thinking this. And uh, that's one of the things I just love about it is, that, is that he used the the writers use that character so well, and that the only time the only time that the dog doesn't complain about him leaving is when he's going to go see the girl, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's it. So I love that. So, but so the dog is like the the buddy. He's the he's the best friend. He's the exposition. He gets his own subtitles. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, there is a movie, though, that I can yeah. transition for you because sure. I see it on your list right there. Uh-huh. The one that I, because Brian and I both talked about beginners, but the, the one that I was disappointed didn't get added was uh, Win Win, ah. which I see that you have. I do have Win Win on And I, I thought it was great in how balanced the characters were. That mm-hmm. they, and, and honestly, I, the wife in that, that particular movie is one of the, I thought, one of the best written female characters I've seen in a long time in that she's got all these great moments and I just (laughs) I loved how lived in these characters felt from the very first beat and that it was that it comes off as it's 
at least the previews make it look like a sports movie, but it's a family movie with a little bit of sports in it. Right. And that's, I, I thought I was disappointed it wasn't in there, but again, it probably would have fought for do you, do you think? Do you think that it's because it came at the beginning of the year? Like all these movies that come at the end of the year, we know that they're released so that they'll be considered for Oscar yeah. nods. Win-Win was right at the beginning. Like, I had to yeah. check whether it was 2010 or 2011. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that's why? Because I can't understand. Critically, it, it, it was, you know, got so many I'm sure that's hits. part of it. I'm sure that's part of it. And, you know, movies like Bridesmaids, which came out, you know, still quite a long time ago, but it had so much momentum behind it and so much, you know, the, the press mm-hmm. you know, that the studio put out there. And, you know, it's really often, sadly, about a studio's backing. You know, they have a certain limited number of m- amount of money that they can spend on promoting movies and there are certain movies that they just decide you know what you know if it gets a nomination great we're not going to push it and then the other ones like Bridesmaid is an example which deserves the nomination but you know they're able to promote and promote whereas Win Win was one of those that just kind of got forgotten and did, and shouldn't have been that's, that's sad sad yeah. I, uh, mine was uh, 50-50 oh I didn't see that I'm sad sad about 50-50 <laughs> have you seen, seen no, 50-50 you guys haven't seen it alright I'll put it on my what? list have you seen it, Lawrence? No. Oh, holy! I thought. See, that's why I was so shocked because I thought everybody had seen it because everybody I talked to had seen it, loved it. And that? did you see? Did you like it, Nick? I loved it. Nick loved it. Nick and I are going to go out with protest signs at the Oscars <laughs> and say, "Where, where is fifty-fifty? Because it's um, you know, it's a cancer story, right? Cancer right. stories suck, and we all think that we know how it's going to go. And yes, you could tell from the commercials there was a lot of lightness to it, but it also had a great through line. It has a great, you know, dramatic slash romantic through line through the whole thing. They never get so into chemo hell that we feel like it's a lifetime movie. It's very well done, very nicely written, and I can't believe that people forgot all about it. It's killing me. It's already on Netflix, right? This is oh, well, add it to my queue. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I kind of put a break on watching movies until they announce what's come out. Now. Yeah, because then we <laughs> have to do all the catch-up, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything on your list, Lawrence, that you wish was on there? No, not that I can think of. I'm glad Mission Impossible isn't on there. Uh, <laughs> although that was fun. It was a good popcorn movie. No? Yeah, it's very two-dimensional. I mean, I'm more a born identity kind of guy, yeah. so it was very two-dimensional. I have to say there's one other movie I just want to mention, like if you're out to rent something or Netflix something, that totally got passed by, and it's The Debt, believe it or not. The Debt is... Um, Helen Mirren. Thank you. Yeah. Helen Mirren uh, plays somebody who was a Nazi stalker. Oh, right. And uh, from the trailers, it looks like, and she's back to kick some ass. And that's it was marketed badly, it was promoted mm. badly, it's described badly. But actually, it's... Uh, uh, a thriller that spends a lot of time back in the era that mm-hmm. where this Nazi guy was, and it is a who again a who done it in a way. There's this there's this question through the whole movie, and it's very very well done. And Helen Mirren does kick some major ass. She does. I mean, in in a great scene at the very end that shouldn't be missed. I mean. Really, really good stuff. So uh, I would recommend it as, as a rental, yeah. The Debt. Oh, and I also picked an adapted screenplay that I would have kind of liked to see, or I don't know if it was really good enough, but I thought The Lincoln Lawyer, the Matthew McConaughey movie, was terrific. I watched that and was continually surprised about how rich the characters were, how 
how clever the twists were. And, and again, it was one of those movies that was filmed, though it wasn't set in the 70s. It had that feel of, you know, the, the filmmakers of the early 70s, the, the, the Friedkins and the Coppolas and the Pens. You know, it, it just had that energy about it. And I loved that movie, and I never thought I'd hear myself say that about a, a Matthew McConaughey film. I would like to do this thing with you, Brian. I would like to, uh, uh, well, go over to Sherry's, right? Sure. All of us? Okay, and we're going to have some drinks. And we're going to watch that movie again. And I am going to show you the screaming, gaping plot oh. hole that is in the middle of it that turned that movie from something I was enjoying into something that all I could do was shout about. I was so angry with that movie. Ooh. It it just, really? yes, it tricked you. It tricked you with its look and its and its prettiness and its and its rough I, around the edges character. I think I know the thing you're talking about, uh, but I don't know if it's quite as fatal as you found. Uh, but I'll, I'll wait until you, you point it out to me. I okay. won't argue with it about it because it was an entire story beat that was missing. So I was just All like, right. oh, God, that nobody, okay, nobody listened to me as I was screaming at the TV. <laughs> did, I don't know why. Did anyone see a better life? Better no, life. I would wanted to. What's what, what's a better life? It's kind of an immigration story. Yeah. A Mexican gardener who gets his uh, van stolen and his whole business stolen, and that kind of becomes... It's like the bicycle thief, but with a, 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 a little business van that gets stolen, finding it uh, through L.A. Would you, would you recommend it? Um, yeah. I think one of the main characters, Damien Bashir, is up for an Oscar. Yeah. Yes. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Hey, Nick, from, from the sidelines, any movie that, that uh, you... you no, did, I don't, maybe I didn't hear it, but... Drive? Did anyone talk Drive. about Drive. I'm watching Nick is voting for that Drive. Last night. Tree, tree okay. of Life. Nobody, Tree of Life. Tree of Life sucks poo. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had also heard a lot of people. Now, I haven't seen this movie. I've also heard a lot of people talk about Melancholia. Melancholia. Lars von Trier. Missed it. Ah. Uh, was that because, didn't he like have this Yeah, he, had this some, big... he said something crazy about Nazis at the Cannes Film Festival or something. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We love the Nazis. Yeah. I think that's what he said. Especially in France. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're so forgiving of that. <laughs> but Drive, you know, that that would also have that sort of 70s feeling to it. There's a lot of um, yeah. Nazis in the 70s these days. You think yeah. it's just because, you know, it always reflects the age of the executives or the producers, like what they're nostalgic for, what they grew well, up on. It's about nostalgia this year. They're nostalgic for the 70s, the 20s, you know, the early <laughs> 1900s. I mean, every just half the movies that are nominated, if you go by the number of nominations, the movies that are attached to them are all set like in 1920. Well, maybe because this reality is just not that much fun. Maybe Woody Allen was onto something with, with that, but that's all I'm giving up. Okay. <laughs> well, guys, um, how can people uh, go to Pope's Picks online or the live show or what What can they do? Well, we're still deciding what we're going to do for the quote-unquote live show this year, but the best way to find out if we're doing something and also to read my reviews as they're happening is to go to my blog, which is at thepopespicks.blogspot.com, and that's picks, C-K-S, and there's no apostrophe, obviously, but uh, by all means, come to the site. You'll you know you'll see what I do on a regular basis, and you know either you'll like it or you won't. And if you are listening to this, I'm hoping that means that you enjoy this, and you're not just tormenting yourself. They're right. They're year. tormenting. <laughs> Plus, their hearts though, because somebody's got to do it. Mike, did you do a Doritos commercial this year? Your, your one last year was so good. I'd no. love to like point people toward anything that you that you made lately. No, didn't do it this year. I'm heavily into writing myself right now. Yeah, so what, what you writing? We're working on a podcast. Hey, what? 
You're working on a podcast? <laughs> not a podcast. What am I saying? Yeah. Web series. Web oh, series. thank you. I am working currently on a podcast as we speak. Right <laughs> a web series. <laughs> yeah. And um, is it, do you have a number of episodes in mind? How, how long is it? How short is it? It's going to be probably about 50 episodes. And I'm already wow. probably past 30 at this what? point. What? So it's going to be hard. We're, our goal is to see if we can get it all written. That way, because I think a lot of web series that I've been involved in and that I've watched, their problem, their problem is always that we're done with the episode, film it. And then, you know, they get down the road and they're like, ah, oh, it would have been so great had we filmed this before then. So we sure. can, So that's our goal is to see if we can get it all finished and then uh, see what we can do with it. Okay. And how long are the episodes going to be? Well, this is first draft, so you know how that goes. Like right. they're all right now. They they range between eight and twelve pages, and okay. we'll cut it down. So uh, okay, good. I'll cut it down. There's no we. Uh, it's it's me, the guy who's who doesn't hate himself at a computer, and then there's the guy who's at the computer, which is the same person. But, oh, you know, you just can't believe that. Like that's somebody else, the writer guy. That's somebody else. Okay. Why would he torment himself like that? Why uh, would he not be out enjoying this beautiful day? <laughs> Am I ever going to get a, a chance to look at the web, web series, or are you you're like... We'll see. I mean, it, you have so little time, and it's, like, so long. I mean, we're talking easily 400 and some odd pages, I'll look at the clearly. first one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that would be a killer, though, if you're like, don't do this. Dude! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got a point. Maybe, maybe not. But, uh... Um, uh, any place that people should go to check out your stuff, or should we just uh, let Facebook. people know when the website is? Yeah, there? I mean, our, our Facebook page right now is just in the it's Vasha V O S H A, and we'll see where it goes. It's not being made yet. We're just still writing it. We're still working on it. Awesome. Okay. Mm. And uh, Lawrence, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for your contributions. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Everybody Thanks, else, you know thank that you, you can go to onthepage.tv and. Find me there. Oh, oh, and Nick, did you find out when that writer store thingy is going to be? Thursday, February 23rd. Thursday, February 23rd. 6.30. 6.30. Okay, so here's the deal. So I am actually moderating uh, a panel that will be talking about the Oscar contenders, okay? And uh, the reason... When they asked me to moderate it, I was like, yeah, because then I could give my opinions here, the good nice. stuff, and there I could just ask them, you know? Because I didn't want to, like, you know, this is where it all matters, the podcast. So anyway... It's on February 23rd. It's a Thursday night. It's at 6.30. And uh, some of the other people that are going to be on the panel. Do you have it in front of you? Yeah, Nick? yeah. Um, Eric Edson. Eric Edson. Jeffrey Allen Schefter. Jeffrey Allen Schefter. Jen Grisanti. Jen Grisanti. Todd Click. Todd Click. And Pilar Alessandra. Pilar right. Look up the books that they've written. They're all really good. And it's going to be a good time. You can come see us over at the Writer Store. And the Writer Store is in Burbank. It also has great source material. And we are going to have the uh, owner of the Writer Store who is, is more, it's more than just a store. It's like an experience, right? He's going to be on, I think, uh, next week. I've actually, only been to the on Westwood podcast. one, so this is another branch. Yeah, they, they moved from oh, Westwood to okay. Burbank, and <clears throat> now um, they're working with Writer's Digest, and they're doing all kinds <clears throat> of online things, so he's going to come on next week. Cool. Um, go to onthepage.tv, see what's going on here, go to the rewrite class. Mike was in it, and look, now he has opinions. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're actually better now. That's the sad thing. <laughs> Um, and check out on the page online.com and check out the donate button. Everybody out there, uh, watch the Oscars, enjoy it, and then get to work. Have a good writing week. Bye.